We signed a donation agreement with a donor two years ago, and this same donor wrote to us claiming the donated assets back, claiming they are leased. Is it possible to challenge this and get a legal interpretation? Yikes. I'm sorry that this happened to Ugh, you. This is that's really awful. gross. That's really gross. Um, so you can. So a, a donation agreement, it depends on what the donation agreement says. And you'll probably, I mean, it wouldn't hurt to get an attorney to look at it because that's they're going to be able to tell you, does the donation agreement have everything in it that it needs to have in it to be able to do something else? Um, this is This comes up as a lot too with even um, promises to give. If someone makes a pledge to you and if it's a written pledge, that's actually a contract between you and that donor. They've agreed as a contract to give you that money. Um, and because it's a contract, then if you, if you, if you wanted to, you could actually go after them and try to sue them for that because you have a contract that says that they gave you that. In this case, you, it looks like it may be the exact same thing, regardless of whether or not they have the I mean, they were allowed to sell. I mean, are you receiving stolen property at this point? I mean, this is where you definitely want to get an attorney involved to make sure that you understand exactly what's going on. From a practical perspective, though, you may want to take a different tack because the trying to claw money back from donors that have promised things to you is a really slippery slope and doesn't make anybody happy. Um, you're you're going to alienate the donor. Um, it's, it's going to be a lot of work. Um, you may want it's something you're going to have to think about really hard. If you really, do you want to go to court and try to get money out of this person? Because that's where it's going to end up. You're not going to, I mean, I'm, again, you need legal representation for this. If it's something you're going to go after, maybe they want to settle, but it seems like they're, you know, they're, they're, they're not treating you very well by pretending to donate something to you and then turning around and telling you that they haven't. That feels like tax fraud to me. Um, but again, an attorney is going to be able to give you a much better answer than we are. Um, in general, the only organizations that ever try to collect on pledges um, are ones that are in dire straits, uh, ones that are in, in serious damage, serious, serious things or terrible things are going to happen if you can't get that money from donors that have pledged it to you, because that's really um, it's really a blunt instrument. And you're never, just so you know, you're never getting another donor donation from that donor again. Um, and that might not be, that might not be something that you want to, you know, you might not want that to happen to you. Yeah. And that donor has their own networks, their own circles. So I think that's the other thing is I just, I wonder how public something like this gets if you go after the lawsuit piece of it. That makes me a little nervous. Um I don't know. I, I like to always start with the relationship in mind. And perhaps how many times do you see like a donor or someone come to you and they have figured out the solution? Like, here is my my strategy. I need like because they have a problem or something has changed in their life. But maybe there's other solutions like than this one. So like, mm -hmm. I would love to if there's a relationship to try to understand and ask the donor some questions like and to try to to try to get a sense of what's at the root of this of this request or like this you know I want I want it back right I want my I'm revoking my gift because at the end of the day like we know that I mean really the only way donors have any right to ask for a gift back is if you know they restricted it to a certain purpose and that wasn't followed but so so like this goes back to that original donation agreement like mm -hmm. if there's not 
What did that say? Was there something your organization did or didn't do that led to this? Was there something that changed in the donor's life that led to this? Those are the questions I would have and sort of like coming at it from, we'd like to try to come up with a solution that like can work for us all. And, and so can we have a conversation, right? Like that, that's where I think this starts instead of let's go sue the donor because good Lord, <laughs> that's never, as you, as you said, Andy, oh, not good. It's the last resort. Yeah. And, and it, I, I agree a hundred percent. I think that relationship is probably the most important thing. Cause they, I mean, maybe they didn't know, maybe they like, Oh, that was least. Oh, right. So maybe yeah. it was a mistake, right? So you don't want to get mad at them for a mistake. Um, the, the other thing is to be very careful with is receiving donations of property. Like anytime it's a physical thing, like money's easy. Like they just transfer it to you. They write you a check and it's done. Property always has like all of these like strings attached. It could be, I mean, nobody's ever leased cash. <laughs> like that, that would never happen if it was a cash donation. So one of the things you want to make sure that you have in place is a gift acceptance policy, which then could have a section on it that says, we don't accept gifts of property or we only accept gifts of property in special circumstances and you have to contact us first and we have to talk about it, right? Because people can give you all kinds of crazy stuff. Anybody that's ever done a silent auction knows that like you can get really weird art. <laughs> like they will, <laughs> someone will give you weird art they've been trying to get rid of for years and then say, oh yeah, this is a whatever. And it's worth $50,000 so that they can take that off their taxes. And you're like, I'm not appraising anything <laughs> like that's, that's yeah. on you. And if you have a gift acceptance policy, it gives you some sort of backup when that way the donor can't come back to you and say, well, you're just not taking it because you don't like me. You can say, well, actually we have the gift acceptance policy that's been in place for years. And we have to apply that every time we decide whether we not accept a gift. And so it's not you and your 1972 rust-filled Chevy Nova. It's it's our policy. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding. Okay, everybody, we have a challenge for you. Help us spice up our opening and closings of these podcasts because Andy and I, what you don't see behind the curtain is that we always struggle because we feel like we're saying the same stuff. And we know it would be too abrupt to just sort of dive right into the questions, but we could use like, like what's a way we could jazz this up? So so hopefully just me asking that question has jazzed up this one. So welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm here with my fabulous, fantastic, what's another F word that's uh, appropriate <laughs> for the air? <laughs> Foolish. Yes. I was like, uh, co-host Andy Shurek and uh we're here joining you for another episode with a lot of good questions. We always appreciate your questions. And honestly, we get really bummed out when we don't get them. So you don't want to see sad faces, do you? No, of course not. So anyway, um, thank you for joining us and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Stacey Wedding here. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. We are so glad to have you here with us today. And I'm super excited because we have our special guest expert, Almendra Johnson, who is the Volunteer Program Director for Get Outdoors Nevada. 
as well as very active and I believe serves on the board of Dovia, which is the director of volunteers and agencies. Uh, for those who are into volunteerism in our community, definitely want to check out um, both Almendra and Dovia because uh, very knowledgeable sources. So welcome, Almendra. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Stacey. Yes, um, would love to get started with you sharing a little bit more than just the title, right? Tell us about your background. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I have been in Las Vegas for 15 years and relocated from Southern California and trying to familiarize myself with a new place. I spent a lot of time um, exploring parks and trails with my kiddos and realized uh, very quickly that Southern Nevada is a very active community, lots of volunteer activities and one community link would, uh, you know, hook me up with another community organization. And so very quickly and early on, we became that type of family that was volunteering all over the city. And that's how I came across a Get Outdoors Nevada and started as a part-time coordinator, uh, managing volunteers on the weekends and an opportunity for leadership um, opened up. And so here I am as the director uh, going on four years. Oh, wow. And um, my other volunteerism did not stop. I continued to engage um, with different scouting orgs and school organizations. And uh, Dovia kind of played in as an opportunity for me to also volunteer in that professional capacity, uh, mentoring and um, helping other volunteer coordinators navigate our local uh, nonprofit community. So I am there. Um, I think, I, yeah, what is the title? VP of education. So <laughs> I kind of set the set the agenda for our member meetings and get to kind of um, take input and um, invite uh, guest speakers to join us. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, uh, thank you for being with us. And we're going to just dive right into the question we got from a listener. And uh, Andy, you know, my co-host and I both said, you know, uh, we could dabble in this, but we certainly aren't the experts. We need to bring in someone who is. So really glad to have you here today. Um, so the question is, as our agency's volunteer program has grown, we have found our old ways of doing business are no longer working. We often find ourselves repeating the same information to anyone interested in volunteering, which just doesn't feel very efficient. To correct this, we're going to create our first ever volunteer handbook. Do you have any suggestions of what to include? I want to balance sharing information that people new to our organization need to know with not overwhelming them with a long, boring document. It's a great question. And I think it's so timely. Um, a lot of us volunteer managers right now are revisiting our policies, procedures, way of doing things. Um, you know, for the last year, we've been so hyper-focused on certain specific details, if you know what I mean. And so now kind of coming out of that safety focus, getting back to those basics, like what onboarding looks like for volunteers. Um, I will definitely share some resources and ideas from our Dovia meetings recently. Um, there has been, um, like I said, like that renewed interest to, to freshen up your way of doing things. And with technology and social media, we are uh, seeing a lot more people interested in video onboarding and the hybrid situation. So not just um, having people you know, interviewed over video meeting, but also when they come in person for an, uh, a training for an onboarding using videos as a tool, since they're familiar with that kind of engagement already on social media and TikTok and the clips. So using that as part as the update or the refresh 
And um, we had one uh, manager share that, like, like your, your person that sent in the question, right? Your audience member wanting to do things differently. They were just tired of giving the same safety briefing. And so they made the safety briefing into a video. So it was a little bit fun. They were able to put some easy illustrations with the use of Canva. And there's some other um, free resources, right? For uh, uh, nonprofits. But even just that little bit, became less monotonous because it was done in a different, you know, different way. Um, so definitely um, would, would shout out adding some video refreshes to the trainings. Um, and then additionally, I think um, what I see as a trend is revisiting how formal some of the stuff is. So I think that we, we onboard our volunteers as if we were um, onboarding an employee. And although I think there's a lot of overlap and definitely want to, um, you know, make sure we are including background check policies, um, anti-discrimination and harassment policies, conflict of interest, that those are things that definitely you don't want to leave out, but also kind of addressing what things aren't really an issue so that you are thinning out that boring book. Because I think a lot of us take our HR book and just copy it into a volunteer book and change a few words. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So if you are diving to refresh and, and shrink it up, I think that's a really good call out that some of that stuff is just probably not relevant. You know, are vehicle policies relevant to someone that's coming to your site, for example? If they're not driving, why is there a whole page on that? So I definitely see how some volunteer managers, you feel the need to go through every single page. But I, I would advise maybe take out all the pages that don't need to be there. And 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 definitely, I think um, having the discipline, um, you know, paragraph about like, you know, you get a, what your warning system is, um, who they can contact if they have a complaint. Those are some basics that can be expressed in a paragraph versus a page. I really love that. Yeah. Like it sounds like, get, you know, do away with, and I don't know what the lawyers out there would say, but do away with the le- all the legalese. And like, I guess I also wonder, do I hear you saying like the tone of it also, I think about like a typical HR employee handbook and right. The tone is very much HR attorney focused labor law like so it's really dry it's really like and you know some of that I get that it's necessary and I wonder is there a way to just communicate this stuff um in a more friendlier fashion that doesn't feel as intimidating do you see that being a trend I do yeah and you know I think um over our um social distancing times as we were all doing different webinars and online trainings, I think we saw a lot more of this, that the need to break up content, um, focusing on what's heavy and what's light, but um, but definitely changing the tone that it is not just a ca- classroom or teacher setting, that it's not just an employer setting, that there is also more of a connection through lighter content and why you're there and maybe more mission centric. I know for um, Get Outdoors Nevada, we include um, a, uh, there's two heartwarming videos that we share in our onboarding and it does break up the boring content. So they're specifically placed after a long stretch of policies. And then like, hey, watch this cute video to remind you why you're here. Oh, I love that. And, and can you say more about those videos? So what are they of other volunteers? What, what are they of? Yes, so um, the first video, so we um, at Get Outdoors Nevada, we have our two primary um, use of volunteers is in our education department and at our outdoor stewardship events. So the first video kind of um, gives a fun, uh, quick overview of the different programs we do. So it shows children in uh, field trip settings, children in classroom settings, 
children in after school settings. So right there, the volunteer has the actual visual of what they potentially could be doing. So, you know, in action. And then on the volunteer side, kind of same thing. We shout out some of our um, goals from the last year. So it'll have how many events that we did. And again, showing us out on the trail or at the park. So that volunteer, I mean, they came to us sort of having an idea, but that video is a very light way to literally show them before they get to go out there. And, and it is um, also a good talking point because as soon as the video is over, you open up the room for, did you see anything you have questions about? And usually we'll have a volunteer say, uh, what was that? When do I get to do that? And that's a great, um, you know, mood lifter for having to sit there for an hour. So, so I love you. That's a perfect segue. So you talk about, I, lo- I love the idea of like, you, you get out the info you have to get the policy stuff, but then you've got the heartwarming videos to, to provide that soft touch. So, so can you walk us through, because I'm guessing, you know, every organization is a little different with how it utilizes volunteers, right? Whether, whether it's more formal volunteer opportunities or skilled volunteer opportunities or episodic or reoccurring and all that stuff. So I'm curious to know, can you speak to it from the lens of Get Outdoors Nevada? Like, so I'm someone in the community, like, because I think this will help those who manage volunteer programs to understand, like, how do you approach it as an organization? Like someone comes in and says, hey, Almendra, I want to volunteer, like, for outdoor stewardship. Like, what? walk me through that process. What does that look like? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. And um, and, yeah, and definitely thank you for calling out that each organization is different. And there are certainly more formal um, trainings required for a lot of um, volunteers in the professional health setting. So I definitely don't want to intersect with that. You know, like we're, we're completely, we're definitely on a different angle as a nonprofit. But um, so Get Outdoors Nevada did a lot of work to really simplify and really um, just make it really easy for someone to just show up and help. And and that presents itself in uh, us providing more tools and supplies than when we d- maybe we did a couple years ago. So originally as a small org, we didn't have as many resources and we could have kept doing business that way. But in trying to make it more accessible, that was our angle was accessibility. How easy can we make it for someone to just show up and help? That's all they want to do. And so first step was providing more to them instead of expecting them to bring all of this stuff with them and have all these expectations. It really was just, okay, what can we do for you so we can just focus on your time with us and volunteering? So um, that also starts in an inbox and being accessible in email, having a regular um, response time, making them feel heard. People start planning their events months in advance. And so often um, at first contact, they're turned away because you're not ready to give them an answer. So we've had to kind of look at, okay, what answers can we give so that we're still engaging with them three months in advance of when they want to plan this? And then um, through the process, letting them know that we'll bring everything that day. They just need to meet us there. We send them a map and, and we really thought about all the little steps. And um, I think what, what has helped us is taking on that dialogue of what it is to be a volunteer. So we go out, we volunteer. What are the things that we're thinking of? And then now turning it around as the manager, how can we give them answers right away or anticipate what they're going to need before they get there? And that's kind of our approach. I love it. I mean, it sounds so um, it, like Nordstrom-like, right? Like this user-friendly, like user-first, very like 
Like we are putting your needs front and center. Like we are treating you like royalty because you're giving us your time and we're going to give you the resources to be successful. So that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it is. And it's been really successful for us in our organization. I think, um, you know, the hierarchy of needs that we all learn about in school are, are true in every part of our life and, and being able to, um, to cut down on that worry for someone so their experience is more fulfilling and they connect with that organization um, much more uh, intentionally. So we get, to, we get to have those fun conversations instead of them being stressed out about, oh, I didn't know where I was going and I didn't show up at the right place or I didn't have the correct information. So, um, so yeah, it goes back to that accessibility. Everyone's feeling good about what they're doing and they're going to have a good time. And um, we, we don't have a super formal program at the moment. And, and that's kind of intentionally, we kind of waiting to see what this next year brings us. And um, we hope to have a volunteer program that welcomes um, volunteers to come four hours a month. So more regularly, but um, it's kind of fun to see how naturally, because it is so easy to volunteer with us, they're already doing that. We're already seeing them two to three Saturdays a month, and we love it. And, and that's the relationship we were hoping to build with our community. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel there like there's this undertone, which is probably more of an overtone of, of equal access, the acceptability, like accessibility of it, the... Um, it's, it's open to anyone like, was that, is that just the nature? It, I mean, I'm sure some of this is just the nature of your mission and your organization. You also mentioned though, intentionally keeping it simple. Can you talk a little bit about the why, the why behind that and what, what drove you? Yeah. Now, thank you for calling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually it's my work with Dovia. Um, a lot of our, um, organizations, we're really stuck with how to include more kids. As more high schools are requiring community service, the conversation shifted in how to include more minors. And so over the last couple of years, we've been talking a lot about how often um, youth are excluded because of fears of liability and concerns. And so um, that kind of started the conversation on accessibility and what really are the barriers. And for some organizations, of course, we recognize that there absolutely are some hard lines that, you know, you cannot have someone there under the age, unsupervised, et cetera. But for others, we really started challenging ourselves to think about, does that really affect anything? You know, if, if a parent has, um, you know, is bringing their families, like, are there things for everyone to do? And that was the conversation we really explored. And um, personally, I think that um, as community members, that civic engagement should not be limited to only one class or one group. And so I think me bringing that to GON has definitely affected our programs. But I think also, um, I think it's a conversation that's happening right now that um, we're all so excited to find ways to participate and help. And um, I think looking at our policies and our programs, we can also reflect um, that that can change. It doesn't have to be the same HR book. It doesn't have to be the exact same rules. And that, you know, perhaps that you know, with, with good guidelines, training and staff that, you know, a 16 year old volunteer is just as um, important and welcome as your, you know, 50 year old or retiree, which seems to be, you know, very popular volunteer demographic. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I love the idea of reinventing. We're all sort of reinventing ourselves as people. Our organizations are reinventing as we sort of 
you know, deal with the last two and a half years we've all been through. So um, anyway, I, I love the idea of sort of never getting static and just sort of because I think that happens right in all lines of work in the nonprofit sector. We've got, oh, we've got the handbook already or we've got this process already. But it's like, is that still working? And that's what I hear you saying. Yeah, definitely. And and that's, you know, the question that was posed to your, your show was, uh, you know, how do we change it? We've been doing yeah. it this way for so long. Right. And, and so we, we're definitely revisiting not just the policy, but what type of volunteer and, you know, certainly it benefits us to engage with our donors early on. And that's the thing, you know, you have someone who has this uh, relationship with you when they need volunteer hours. What does it look like as they grow into young adults and community members and first and yeah. second jobs and they become managers at their work that wants an opportunity to engage in a, in a, a nonprofit setting? So I think there's a lot of connections that are made. And so I, I look forward to not excluding all of these groups and, and definitely be more um, intentional and, and, and inclusive of our community members. So one final question, because I'm sure our listeners are thinking, man, they're lucky they've got, right? Like, it sounds like they don't have a problem getting volunteers. And, you know, I, I don't know, Almendra, I mean, this is sort of a two-part question. I'm curious to see in Dovia, if you've heard stories or if others are sharing stories, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews over the last couple of years. I mean, partly with the shut, you know, when we were shut down through the pandemic and when things were happening, I mean, volunteerism felt like it came to a halt. I know, you know, and then and then it was about how do we change volunteering to make it more virtual to your point earlier. So but but I still feel like there's this sort of weird, like this kind of um, transition back to, um, you know, life again, that that is disrupting what has been the norm for volunteerism. So I'm curious to know, have you seen a difference or are you hearing a difference with others? Like, are, are they having more volunteers, fewer? Um, that's part one. And then sort of the second part is what advice do you have to our listeners about how to recruit volunteers? So. I would love your thoughts. Really important questions and big <laughs> ones. Thanks. <laughs> Lots of really yeah. good questions. How about putting you on the spot there, right? <laughs> um, and actually, so I definitely want to shout out Dovia, Southern Nevada. We do have um, our most recent um, member meeting presentations posted on our website. And the title of one of the most recent was, was how to get volunteers to show up because it <laughs> is a big, big concern. Um, and I, I think it, it does go back to that basic planning of what it is you want to get out of your onboarding process or your volunteer engagement. Like, what is the goal? Is the goal 50 volunteers? Where are you going to find the 50 volunteers? And really kind of work backwards, um, especially right now. Where are your volunteers coming from? Where do you want them to come from? What does your event look like? Do you really need 50? Maybe you only need 10. Just kind of really getting back to the basic structure of your program is really hard because a lot of us, myself included, we're popping into this job after someone else left. Yeah. And so, you know, very few of us are in a position where we created or launched the program. So we are, a lot of us are just kind of using what we had, running around, keeping busy, doing 20 jobs and not really sitting down to kind of evaluate um, what the needs are right now. So um, that would be my first advice is to spend that valuable time. Uh, and, you know, me telling you this of all people <laughs> to, to really, uh, to really find, you know, that core, like, what are you supposed to be doing? Right. 
uh, or what do you want to be doing? Um, and then additionally, um, there are a lot of resources online for volunteer engagement, um, whether it's uh, social media, whether it's connecting on message boards. Here in the state of Nevada, we have an awesome resource, um, Nevada Volunteers, that has a portal where you can engage um, with organizations and partnerships. And so um, I think kind of finding which resources are a fit. Um, I, I love professional groups like Dovia, um, they're regional too. So if your listeners are out of state, most states have their own Dovia organizations. They have the best ideas, things that people are doing or things that are like, don't do this right now. It's a bad idea. <laughs> so um, I think that's, you know, connecting with other managers. Uh, it can only help, you know, it really, it, it is always changing, like you said, and always in need of a different approach. Like how long do you do something before it's exhausting and and kind of starts hurting your soul. So um, Get Outdoors Nevada has found a lot of love on Instagram. Um, part of that is community and hashtags and connecting, but it's work on our end. We have to find those intersections and find, um, you know, what, who, who are we popular with right now and, and riding that train to get our volunteers. So we, we definitely have, um, it's more than just luck. We are working to keep those volunteers coming to us. And it, and it's through, you know, that, that portal for us. I, I appreciate that distinction though, because some people do look at it and probably think, Oh, they're yeah. Quote lucky, right. They're lucky. They've got a mission. It's outdoors. Who doesn't want to do something outside. Right. So there's, there's this, this sometimes a bias in not realizing there is a lot of work that goes into everything you're talking about. Right. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of time. There's a lot of strategy about how are we, moving this forward? What is the best way to recruit where and then tracking it, right? Like, where are we getting our volunteers from? And do we need to find more groups or more people like that? So, so I listen to you and go, yes, it's, it's a full time job. And then some. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And you know, I think different organizations, um, their structures are different. So I know in Dovia, we talk a lot about how um, there's a trend to put volunteer managers with HR. And I think that, you know, in some ways that does make sense because you are managing people and those policies are important. But then what happens to the, you know, the volunteer manager that's all on their own who doesn't have any of that backup? What resource do they have? And, and that's kind of, it's so different with each nonprofit that, you know, which, which groups are community engagement and which ones are not. And, so yeah, it, it definitely requires you to be flexible and try different things. Facebook did not work for us, but I do know that for a lot of our health orgs, there's a lot of presence on Facebook and part of that's demographic. And so I definitely, you have to kind of play around and learn from your fellow organizations what's working. Well, and, and that is a great way to tie this all up with a beautiful bow, right? I think the collaborative spirit of, being able to talk to other groups, being able to share lessons learned, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly is so, is such a part of the learning experience for all of us. And I know me, I like hearing what other pitfalls someone else had. So maybe I don't have the same one and what successes they're having. So, so I love the sharing network that Dovia provides. Uh, and kudos and thank you to you and your team um, at Get Outdoors Nevada, because I know you work tirelessly on this. And I know that our community is very fortunate and lucky and feels very fortunate to have an organization like yours that does volunteerism the right way and makes it a great experience. So thank you so much. Oh, shucks. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Did I make you blush? I, it's very sincere, though. Um, it's And for our listeners, I will just share, I mean, this 
for anyone who doesn't know Get Outdoors Nevada, I will give a quick shout out that they they are one of the organizations, you know, you hear about people saying, please give me a good a good volunteer experience for my employees or my family or my coworkers, because you need that positive experience to then um, kind of get get it under get under people's skin. So they want to keep doing it. Right. And so um, I think Get Outdoors Nevada has figured out that sort of secret sauce, whether and, and yet you're continuing to improve that sauce. So, you know, that little, that recipe changes, right? So, and um, Almendra, thank you for being with us. Thank you for sharing your expertise. We uh, can't, you know, I know our listeners are appreciative and we'll put um, any contact info you're willing to share, um, including, and then we'll put Dovia contact info in our show notes. Are there any final words or thoughts you want to share before we wrap up? I love that you are a resource also, and I definitely encourage um, those volunteer managers to reach out to more than one resource for help to, to do, don't suffer in silence. <laughs> definitely don't, you know, for it, it is a job for a lot of us, but it's a hard job. And so I think that um, if someone hasn't heard it before that, you know, that it's okay to ask for help, that especially in, in volunteer management, you just have to ask for help. It is always changing. And and, and you don't want to underestimate how much help you could be for someone else. So do you know we've done over 100 episodes of this podcast? Oh, uh, no wonder I'm so tired. <laughs> we've done like, all at once on one day. Yeah. We did. We taped 100 <laughs> episodes. There is so... No joke. There's more than 50 some odd hours of Stacy and I answering nonprofit specific questions. It goes all the way back like three years or so, because we've done this every, every two weeks for about three years now. Um, so right now there's a massive number of things that we've already talked about. So if you haven't looked in, if you go to the nonprofit, everything webpage and you go and click the, I think it's the archive podcast archive button. Um, they're all, all of the questions are out there. You can search. There's a search bar. If you had a question about something specific and it will bring up the episode where that specific topic was, was talked about. And there's also, when you go to the actual page, there's a couple of links. So you don't have to listen to the whole episode. So you have to listen to us do what we're doing now, which is just chat mindlessly for a few <laughs> minutes to open and close the episode. And if you want to jump, you know, cut straight to the chase, you can click the link and it will start the podcast right at the beginning of that question. So you've got, now there's this, like this archive of like all of these things that users have asked us that we've, that we've either answered or we brought guest experts in to answer, which are some of the better ones, to be honest. And, and you can go to all of those and they're all available completely free of charge at the nonprofit everything website. So check that out as you're checking that out, start to think about things that we haven't answered or things that we answered three years ago that are no longer uh, quite as relevant that we may need to refresh. Um, cause, cause at this point we, we feel like, you know, Stacy and I have answered everything like we're done. Yeah. So, <laughs> so unless you bring us more questions, like we're, we can't rehash the same ones over and over and over again. So send us questions. Let us know what you want to talk about. Let us know if you like the podcast. Is there stuff we can do better? Is there stuff you really like that you don't want us to stop doing? Um, what what could make this more more useful for you? Uh, please, so you can send us that feedback on the Nonprofit Everything website. Um, there's also a Discord channel, which you can get to from the website as well. Um, if you want to kind of chat in real time with other users, that's a, we're experimenting with that. It's a good place to do it. Um, and uh, with that, we'll see you in a couple of weeks.
Thank you.